0: Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be.
1: All right. If you hear my voice, it means you have come back to The Canadian Story for another episode. Today, we are joined by Tim Crowder. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Welcome, Tim.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: It's, uh, it's been a bit of a long time coming. We've been trying to trying to get this done for a little while. Um, very excited to have you, Tim. We are going to talk about housing in Canada today. So, Tim, if you would, brief us on your background a little bit and maybe include in that why you might be able to speak from a position of authority on the current housing market in Canada.
2: Okay. Uh, thanks, Jack. I, um, I'm not an economist but I've been involved in financial services at an executive level uh, for 25 years now. And I've been involved with pretty much every pillar of financial services. So we've uh, run lending businesses, including mortgages, um, have run wealth businesses, have run insurance businesses for the big five banks in Canada, as well as uh, with a international global bank, one of the largest in in the world. So I've had to consider things like, moves in economy and moves in housing prices for some length of time, both as an asset and as a, as a lender um, and understanding the nuances that drive a market uh, were fundamental to me being able to run these businesses so uh, I'd say as as a as a technical expert, um, I've had to have my finger on the pulse of this stuff for quite a long time
1: okay so as we go
2: into well, but, this but
0: before we we continue tim tell us a little bit about yourself what makes you tick who are you and what do you love about this country oh geez what
2: do i love about this country um
0: and it's okay to say you don't love the country very much right now because a lot of people feel that way but. <laughs> well
2: well well my friend I, i'd have to say right now i'm very very concerned with the direction of the country uh, on a whole host of different fronts and um one of my biggest concerns is i don't think that that People with different opinions or on different sides of the spectrum of politically um, are having conversations anymore. I think we're at a point where we're standing on two sides and throwing digital uh, stones at each other. Uh, it'd be nice to get back to some discourse where we actually look at problems, look at problems with our eyes wide open and talk about solutions that are workable. So, uh, do I like, I love my country. I love what Canada has historically stood for. Uh, I, I love. Uh, the, the, the breadth of this country and the breadth of the people in this country. Uh, one of the, the things that I uh, just loved about a decade ago, um, not two decades ago, I'm driving through Toronto and I see uh, two young boys who are clearly immigrants uh, who um, uh, see my car coming and they're playing street hockey and they yell car and they pull the hockey nets off the the road. And I said, wow, this is what we are. A bunch of people from different backgrounds with a shared a culture. And we, we, we are one of the models in the world of, of a country that can bring a bunch of different people together and work well together. We're a success story and we should be proud of that.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I grew up yelling "car," so that uh, that story is near and dear to me. There you go, right? What's
2: more Canadiana than you know, kids playing street hockey and yelling "car"? Yeah, that's no, great. Absolutely.
1: Um, so, as we get into this conversation, I would like to, to, as you know, throughout the conversation, keep in mind two groups of people in Canada. Um, the two groups being people who currently own property and people who do not. Um, so. I guess my first question is, if you've looked at all at the housing market, it is hotter than I've ever seen it in my lifetime. Why is that?
2: So that that's a very complex question, Um, and it it, there's a host of different things that are feeding into into the the price of houses right now. Um, Let let me take us back a a couple decades. Uh, Typically. What drives uh, home prices is 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 demand and affordability, and um, you you have historically seen a really tight correlation between incomes and home prices, and that changed in uh, the year two thousand in Canada. You started to see a disconnect between those two metrics. Um, you could say uh, that's tied to to lower interest rates m- making. You know, a little bit more demand in the market for for homes, but I I, I poke a, a hole in that, saying the same interest rates exist in the states, and they're not seeing this disconnect between housing prices and uh, and incomes. Uh, they still continue to track pretty tightly, even after the uh, the 2008 housing crisis that they had down there. So something else is going on, and um, I'll 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 say there one element uh, of it has to be the demand side. It drives the 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 value. The other side is going to be it's going to be supply, but there's sub dynamics that are they're actually feeding both of those sides of the coin. Um, on the, the 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 demand side, um, one of the things that we have going differently in Canada is a much more aggressive immigration policy, and and that's a good thing. We we need immigration to keep our economy growing. Um, we, we have birth rate of uh, roughly 1.47 uh, children um, per uh, adult that's able to have children. So that's not replacement levels. Uh, we're, we would be in decline in population if we didn't have immigration. And for the longest time, we, we've had, uh, call it, between 250,000, 300,000 new Canadians coming each year. You take a look at the uh, American market and they add about a million new immigrants every year. So we're at about forty percent uh, immigration levels compared to the states who has a population ten times larger than us.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So one of the disconnects may be that we're we're bringing in uh, many more people uh, to the country who need a place to live. And we haven't done a very good job at keeping up on the supply side. So it's, it's one thing to say, yeah, we have a policy of, of robust immigration. Well, you better ensure that you've got a policy to, to have both jobs and homes for the people who you're adding to your nation. And I think that's where we've had a breakdown. And I'll, I'll get in, into that uh, uh, in a little bit more depth later. Um, on the supply side, we're an overly bureaucratic bureaucratic country. Frankly, it's hard to, to open a business. It's hard to get things done here. Um, uh, to the credit of the uh, the current Ontario government, I'd say they, they've been trying to tackle bureaucracy and, and red tape and in, in a big way, um, and in the real estate space in particular. But it's taken over two years on average to get any project in the housing space greenlit, and then you don't you don't know that you're going to get that approval. So me as a, as a business person, do I want to invest in in property that I, I think I might be able to develop? Right, and put all that risk in that investment, right? to to then have that explode in two years' time when I find out I actually can't develop what I was what I was planning to develop in that space. So I think you've had uh, disincentives to supply, and you've got this this huge wave of of population that needs the supply. And that's not even to get into speculation and a, a whole host of other things that would be also key True. to to driving val- where values are right now. But where are we? Today, we are the second least affordable uh, country on the planet for housing, just behind New Zealand
0: now, interestingly, uh, I'd like your thoughts on this, Tim. Like that is very much true on an aggregate but say in Alberta or Sask or the Maritimes we're not seeing that so it's there's a little bit of a disconnect on that too right in, in the well, sense it's it's
2: regional right yeah. it's 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 def- definitely going to be regional and I, I i'm talking about canada as a, as a whole to begin with and i think i'll i'll, I'll hit your point um <laughs> not to bring up covid but covid the, the virus has also caused uh, a spread a contagion if you will in real estate value increases around the country uh, as people moved from places mm-hmm. like Van- Vancouver and the GTA and they brought their their uh, idea of what value should be in real estate and unfortunately they moved to smaller towns and inflated the prices of of where they went uh, but but stepping back from, from that um back in 2010 you saw three three cities in Canada that were truly unaffordable where uh, the cost of real estate was about 40% of your income. Just to maintain your mortgage, you'd need to uh, to use up 40% of your income. Three markets. Today, fast forward, 16 markets in Canada that are actually fundamenta- fundamentally mathematically unaffordable. You have a place like Hamilton, a typical hardworking blue collar city that is less affordable than Los Angeles today. Wow. Really? Yeah, Less yes. affordable than and, Los Angeles? Yes.
1: Just to clarify, <laughs> is that metric based off of uh, cost of housing compared to Relative income? to incomes. Yes. yes.
2: Relative to income. Okay. okay. So, um, and it's it's been, a it, you look at, at Vancouver, this has been a problem for Vancouver for, for decades. Um, and it's one of the reasons why Vancouver is also one of the least happiest cities uh, in the country. Just people are are at their, uh, they're straining, their budgets are strained just to live there.
0: Unless, unless, um, but, uh, but a lot of people, so uh, this is something that I'm interested in because I know a lot of people who own property are pumped about this, right? They think it's the best thing ever, right? Because they're seeing massive increases in the value on their
2: homes. If you're in, if you've been in the market, if you're in the market and you were lucky enough to have purchased around the year 2000 and, and even in the, the run up in the last, let's say up to around 2010, um, you're lucky enough, then, then you, can, you can chase those values. And, man, I've made so much money on my house. Um, now, here's the trick. Try to realize that gain.
0: Right, because you got to buy another house.
2: You got to buy a house. You got you to buy a house. So where are you going to go? Um, we, we've seen a, an exodus of places, um, but from places like the, the GTA in Vancouver to places like Nova Scotia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we've, we've also seen that as people have, have moved out to these locations, smaller towns and such, they realize they're giving up a bunch of amenities and, and now we've seen this flight back. Yeah, uh, in the last year, and COVID has really distorted things for us in the last couple of years. But yeah, I, I love to see the value of my house, and I go, "It's going to be a great nest egg to retire from." But will I really downsize, and where would I go to actually realize that that investment? Right, um, Texas. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, Texas, I, man. You could really Florida?
1: realize
0: it in Texas.
1: Yeah, Tennessee, I, yeah, far away I, from your from your family and your friends and yeah. all the people you hold near and dear. Yeah. And The life that you've built, yeah,
2: yeah, and then then you look at the the generation of of people who are entering the workforce right now, who are trying to save up, and the the cost of the average cost of a detached home in Oakville right now is one point five million dollars. The average cost one point five million dollars. How do you save up enough to put down a deposit on a house like that?
1: I have an answer for How do you that. You pay a
2: mortgage on that.
1: I, I have <laughs> an answer.
2: What's your magic, Zach? you don't. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't do that. You don't do yeah. that. And so I, and I don't want to be doom and gloom here. There are a series of things that we can do um, with some with some smart policy. And there's a series of things that are going to happen, regardless of whether we want them to happen or not, which will correct the values in, in the market. And I'm not going to say that that's going to um, make it easy to own a home for the, the current generation. I will say, that you'll see a pullback and there will be a correction, and you'll see that delta shrink to some degree. And there's some things that we can do to give people options um, that, that they don't necessarily have today. So Wait, what are, I, the, what I don't want things, to say this is doom and gloom. Like there are right, there are, are those things. things we can do. But
0: what can we do? What what are what are the options?
2: Well, you know, maybe maybe still, I'll, I'll step before I jump there. I'll just step back a, a little bit uh, to hit one more problem uh, that's driving the prices, and that that is. Um, those people who are making all kinds of money on the real estate market right now, they are getting into a speculative mindset and Hey, these housing prices, they can never go down. Right. But my first piece of advice to anybody ever investing is what's happened in the past is no indicator for what is going to happen in the future. And if you think it is, you're going to wake up in a a very bad way at some point. Um, Look back to 1989. We had a huge, boom in real estate back then and we got into speculation and when you had your cab driver telling you to buy property, you knew it was time to get out hmm. right it's it's you don't don't take investment advice from from your cab driver as great as these people may be um so you're going to likely see a a correction based on a speculation boom. Part of the problem is is we've become an international country as well and the speculators aren't just here in Canada. Um, you've got money coming from all over the world. You've got money coming from Saudi Arabia. You've got money in a big way coming from China and one of the most popular investments in China is real estate and they're going through a hard landing right now, um, which which you're likely going to see, see more headlines over the next year around that um, correction that's taking place in China. But many of those investment dollars have also moved to Canada. Started, started in Vancouver and it's, it's spread around to the, the, the GTA and Montreal, et cetera. So you've got um, folks who are looking to, to park their money in different countries and now we're competing globally for houses. And the expectations of those investors uh, are different from people who are just trying to buy a home here and their their incomes and the the money that they're playing with are different than people who are working here
1: well yeah there's a very big difference between me who started a business and works hard and earns a living and big money worldwide there's, the guy who has the
2: contract <laughs> to sell salt in Beijing yeah Ooh. yeah
1: <laughs> well and like there's a very millions big
2: difference and millions of people it just it, and this is what you're dealing with now, there's a darker side to it. When, when you look at houses as, as not homes, but as bank accounts, as assets to store your money, not only are legitimate funds stored, but you've got um, the potential for uh, darker things to happen, illegitimate sources of, of, of money. And one of the big problems we have currently in, in Canada is, while we have a very robust uh, set of controls on banks, and on investment brokerages, Um, any client that I take on in in banking, I need to know the source of their funds. Where did the the money that you're bringing into this bank come from? I have to verify that those are legitimate dollars. Um, I also need to understand who are connected parties to any account you're opening. So Tim Crowder opens up an account, but what about those shadowy people in the background are somehow connected to this? In banks, we're very good at being able to detect those things, to track them, and to police them. Uh, But real estate is porous. You don't just work through financial institutions. You also work through things like real estate brokers, lawyers, and potentially holding companies. And those are wonderful avenues to take illegitimate funds from terrorism, drugs, prostitution, whatever the case may be, or take funds from people who are politically exposed um, and to integrate those into the financial system. And when you drive around a uh, a neighborhood and you see a series of homes that are sitting vacant, but owned, you have to ask yourself, well, is is that a home or is that a bank account?
1: Right. So So just to make sure that I understand that, Let's say I am Joe Blow drug dealer and I have a million yep. bucks in illegitimate money. If I wanted to buy a million dollar house through, um, through a real estate brokerage, I could just dump that cash into that house and there would be no check as to where those funds came from
2: so it's it's not as it's not as simple as that and I, what I, I'll try not to do is is give people an education on how to launder their money right. today. <laughs> um, but but he, the, this is to say if if I were to to try and take that million dollars and to to place it into the financial system, I don't necessarily need to do that under the name of Zach. I could certainly do that under the holding company one two three four five Mm-hmm. Uh, owned by a corporation with a, a variety of different owners. And it may not be that that $1 million comes directly from from me, Zach, but uh, $50,000 comes from here and $9,000 comes from there and $10,000 comes from there. and And <laughs> where did it all come from? And if you're able to do that through things like a, a holding company, then it's it's difficult, A, to, to understand where did the monies come from in the first place and who actually owns those monies. Right. And there's, there's there's a lawyer doesn't have to disclose their clients. They don't have to, in fact, you're protected. Right. In order as you're a lawyer, uh, you, your privacy is protected. So there's, to say that there are ways to manipulate the existing system and there's there's oversight that does not exist in parts of the existing system that could be corrected. And so one of the, the first things that, that we need to do as a country is stop the wild west mm-hmm. when it comes to real estate. So then at least you're dealing with honest speculation, right? and you're dealing with honest supply issues and honest demand issues. So number one, Uh, trying to tackle that. And there's some really interesting um, stuff that's been published on uh, a a, a commission in Vancouver that looked into the connection between the triads, drug production, fentanyl distribution, gambling, and real estate. And there is a very strong model in that market that ties all of those things together currently.
1: Wow. So, and, if money and right goes, now,
2: Vancouver has actually become an export hub for opium. Yes, to the rest of the world. To the rest of the world. Wow. Yes. So Anyhow, that's that's an aside. But right, number one thing to do is let's stop the wild west, and that just comes down to controls and policy and governance.
0: So, what do we do? What What are some tangible policies well, that we can put in place? One of
2: the things that uh, the Ontario government—I'll give them uh, accolades—in the the past year, two years. Ago, they actually uh, made it a requirement that holding companies must now disclose all connected parties. Right? Numbered companies need to have a here. It's, it's it's David, it's Zach, it's Tim, and and these are the, the people who have some vested interest here. So that's that's a start because you would know that Tim is politically exposed potentially, right. or you right. you would know that Zach comes from a family who. <laughs> Are involved in the following things or have associates who are involved in the following things. So it gives uh it gives a law enforcement an opportunity to at least uh pierce the veil. Mm. And I'll say this: one of the one of my very large roles, particularly in the global bank I worked for, when you have monies that are crossing borders, you have to really, really, really be careful and understand. Um, where those are coming from and who's involved, and we would have monthly meetings where we're firing, we're firing customers, right? Because we right. know they're involved. Oh, oh, there's a connection between this customer and uh, that cartel,
1: right. or
2: that person in China who is politically exposed, or we know has some connections to that organization.
1: So not only are we fighting the Chinese man who just distributes salt legitimately we're also fighting drug cartel money
2: yeah and and i'll give you know we want to be an open market we want to have international investors be able to a purchase assets in canada and come here Um, we want to get rid of the the criminal element element there and we also want to make sure that we're, we're at least at least allowing our own population a foot up to be able to get into the market. So there, there may be a space for things like um, foreign investor taxes on real estate. We haven't seen that those have been particularly successful in places like Vancouver or Toronto yet. Um, I think there's there's some more thinking that needs to be done around how do you uh, how do you mitigate the impact of, of international demand? Um but it's 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 something that that we should be looking at doing, and maybe it's a quota system step back from that. There's no answer for that one right right now. Solve for the illegal stuff. Think very hard around policy that can help to um, police legitimate international investors. And then take care of, of, of supply in our country. So, how right do we now, take care of supply? Okay. There, right now, we, uh, we have a significant challenge in that we're not building fast enough. And um, I, I talked to you about the, the affordability of, of Canada and New Zealand versus the world. Um, one of the things we, let to give you some more to there, we have the least supply of house per thousand people of any G7 nation. Okay, so, again, there's something fundamentally we're doing wrong here. Uh, and step one, it's, it's tackling the bureaucracy around approvals for housing projects and let's, let's get building. Um, so make it, make it easy and make it predictable, right? Take away the risk elements of these projects. If, if it's, if it's predictable, I have more incentive to do it. And I, I actually can pass down that lower risk and lower pricing of housing. Right. right? You right. take that one element out. That's just starting the, the market. Um, we right now would have to, okay, talking about affordability of markets, different regions, David, you, you hit on this, different regions around the country have different levels of, of volume of, of housing. Nowhere in Canada is great. We're lower than the G7. You take a look at Ontario and it's the bottom of the bottom.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. And and I'll, I'll go back to just dimensionalizing the immigration piece we had fairly consistent immigration of call it 270,000 new Canadians every year. And that was a number we just kept hitting it and hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. And then in the last two years, we've bumped that up to over 400,000.
1: Wow. So immigration increase? 25% increase. Over
2: COVID? Over COVID. Huh.
1: That's interesting. Yeah.
2: And okay, fine. Uh, The argument was yeah, I, we're going to need more population on the heels of COVID to ensure that the economy is strong enough, demand is strong enough to recover. And I, I would question placing that bet in this environment right now. I would question that, that policy decision. But I would yeah. certainly question um, doing something that is a revolutionary move, meaning a very drastic move at any time causes unforeseen consequences. And a 25% increase in immigration in one year, your market's not ready for that. Right, you creep it up by five and 10% a year. If you wanna to get to a target, get there, but do it in a way that, that, that the, the, the market can adapt.
0: To like understand the consequences of what you're trying you to know, do. You
2: know, yeah. maybe maybe yeah. understand before you take that. Policy but, wait, 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 decision. You, but you
0: can't understand unless you're moving at that incremental pace, because exactly. now with 25%, we don't even know what caused it necessarily, right? Because it's so and, instantaneous.
2: So and and revolutions, revolutions hurt people. And we're right. seeing we're seeing some hurt, particularly in the real estate market. Take a look at the the growth in real estate over the past two years. 15% every year, we've not. The, the the chart the chart is is I mean I'm I'm laughing as a homeowner right now right yeah but the chart is ridiculous and um the that 270 thousand uh, increase in population for the country every year that we were expecting all landed 270 thousand in Ontario in the GTA in one year okay yeah. So how, how wow. do you manage that so there, there, there needs to be a governor on on the, the demand side and, and a governor on on immigration we're talking about removing bureaucratic hurdles to, to house uh, house building but right now we're in a crisis and we've uh, we, we already had a problem we've created a crisis. so what do you do to manage that crisis over the immediate term? well uh, I'd say right now might be a really good time for the government to create, tax incentives for builders of homes, short to medium term, make it less right. expensive, incent the building of homes because we are in a situation where supply is, is horribly offside. We'd have to build 650,000 new homes in Ontario right now just to get on average with the rest of Canada.
0: With the rest of Canada, which with is the rest still of the Canada. worst in the
2: G7. Yes. So there's an immediate demand for for new homes let's let's get those new homes started and we probably have to do that through some sort of financial incentive for developers as well as in making the, the whole process for of, of approval easier um, the other things that we have to start looking at because this is this is a structural issue now and it's it's one that's it's been building since 2000 you know, crisis right now but the problem's been building over a significant amount of time and part of the problem is, um, if you're going to start your career in Canada, unless you're a police officer, a teacher, or a tradesperson, you're probably going to have to work in Vancouver, Toronto, or Montreal. Right? Those, those are the major locations for jobs. Uh, you look at, at Ontario in the last decade, the only place where there was any job growth were two markets Toronto. The GTA and, and Ottawa. The rest of the province was flat, was stagnant or declining in terms of jobs. So you want, to, you want to live where you can actually have an income. So some of what we might need to do is to also incent um, companies and corporations to geographically distribute their yeah. operations. You may want more than one hub in Ontario where you can work, you may want multiple places, you may want to lean in really heavily into the tech uh, triad in Waterloo, Kitchener, Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Um, You you may uh, also want to smooth out um, people's commutes to where they work. So uh, an investment in transportation infrastructure can help people to work in diverse locations so long as they can get there easily. High-speed rail, why aren't we talking about that in Ontario, for instance, right? Better better transportation infrastructure um, and 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 better connectivity between communities. Those are things that we can do structurally to allow people to spread out the demand around regions. Yeah. Right, so economic development in a variety of places and then spreading out the ability to live in a variety of places and to commute those hubs
1: it's not like we have a shortage of land here
2: well that's the irony right yeah (laughs) have a solution it's right out the window there now you're you you may have places like uh vancouver that really can never solve for this challenge because they're hemmed in by mountains yeah right yeah and and the gta will continually have a challenge now with with real estate affordability because it's become an international city it's a megacity, and um You've got such a concentration of of uh, employment opportunities that you're always going to have demand in this area. Yeah. So it, it, Toronto's gone the way of New York. That's just that's the way it's going to be going going forward, and Vancouver Vancouver as well. But that's not to say that you can you cannot diversify around the the, the horseshoe and around Southern Ontario. And if you have development along that Windsor to Montreal corridor, there's lots of opportunity in that space.
1: 100%. But it requires
2: planning and it requires investment and it requires a union between the federal governments, the provincial governments and municipal, municipal governments all working towards the same goal.
0: So why do you think that, uh, so I liked what you said because I think that's important, is the this has not just happened. This is a crisis that's been developing because of bad policy up to this point. Why do you think the bad policies are not being recognized and changed? Do you think it's because there's an entire demographic of people who are who feel like they're massively benefiting from this?
2: Um, I, I think there's hesitancy around tackling the international demand because people are benefiting from this. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me who I can sell my house to. right. Right, there's. I think that that's that. There's an element there, um, but uh, and and I think that that because of that, there's a lack of courage to tackle some of those challenges. Um, but by tackling those challenges, that doesn't mean you're going to lose the value of your home. It means you're not going to see the ridiculous rates of increase right. in the value of real estate. Um the other thing I was talking about was was things like um, uh, smoothing out the demand around communities and regions, and things like transportation infrastructure just aren't sexy. They don't get votes, right. and it's very easy to kick that issue down the road. It costs a lot of money to build another highway, and you're going to have people pushing back saying, well, if you build more highways, they're going to get, there's going to be more cars, Um Okay, you hire more doctors, there's going to be more sick people? Right. No, right. <laughs> you build more highways so you get rid of gridlock. And we haven't been, been building highways um, anywhere at the pace of our population growth. So what do you have? You have GTA, which has the worst gridlock in North America.
1: Yeah, my and wife you, is from you want to LA. talk about the
2: environment? Yeah. Let's get cars moving.
1: Yeah, yeah. My wife is from LA and she likes to talk about how bad the traffic is in LA and she is correct. The traffic is bad, but what people don't, a lot of people from Canada don't realize, and this is something that you're saying, Tim, uh, the population density of Toronto is far higher than the population density of LA, making the gridlock around Toronto far worse. So think about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you've got, you've got one hub in all of GTA, the union station. Yeah, to get anywhere in Toronto, you have to get to Union Station first, hmm. and you've got what three arterial highways, one of which is privatized, and the normal person can't drive on it.
1: Mm-hmm. And that so chi- there's, that there's- that, uh, that four hundred seven money is going to China. It's not even a, a Canadian investor either. <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't, don't, don't get me started yeah um but sorry it, it, sorry it's to say like infrastructure is it's not glamorous but it's fundamental and and we need to be paying attention to it finally at least um uh, with metrolinks you've got some movement in the gta
0: so part of me doesn't believe the government's going to do anything about this so how how would like um because at the end of the day, like you said, these are hard things that need to be done, right? Un- hard, unsexy things. And those are very often the the least likely things to get done by a democratically elected government. So, so so, what do you, how do you see this going? Let's just say, let's spitball here. If nothing's done, what ends up happening?
2: And and I, I want to step back for just a second before I say nothing's going to be done. I, I want to challenge you on that. And, and this is going to be a, the litmus test Will be June in Ontario with the provincial election. Yeah. Given we're talking crisis right now, I have to assume that there's going to be a political will and political impetus to address the crisis. And right. I, I'm interested to see uh, what the various uh, parties come forward with as as opportunities. Um, I, I will say that that I was happy to see the movement of the Ontario government. In the past two years, that that started to address the organized crime element, right? And try to at least pierce the veil. So I think there's, there, there. I'm not going to give up on the fact that there can be movement here.
0: Right? No, no, no. I believe yeah. there can be movement. It's just it feels like, like I remember five years ago when people were saying housing is completely unaffordable, and and we were talking. It was a very similar conversation to the one that we're having right now, and nothing. Was done, and now it like, You look back on that, and it looks downright affordable.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I recall my personal experience getting lucky enough to buy into the beaches in Toronto and and seeing the appreciation of of the value of that home, and looking at a looking for a home in Oakville. And every year that I didn't buy, seeing those values getting bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, was lucky enough to to get into into this this market. And funny enough, when I moved to to Oakville, it was a town of 100,000 people. And then 10 years later, it's a town of 200,000 people. Hmm. And average home price of $1.5 million. Yeah. Um, So we have uh, Gen Z voters who are coming online now. Mm -hmm. We have millennial voters. Um, My recommendation to, to both of those groups is to make your voices heard and and to hold your leaders accountable to address this challenge um, i think it is one of the most important issues facing canadians today period yeah. yeah and uh you know every everything starts at the home and if you can't have a home like i don't want my kids living in my basement forever <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I'll accept no. it for the
2: next few years. But
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, that also, you don't want your kids to have to move like halfway across the country to be able to afford a home. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, from what I've been told by many people, like the only way that most people in my generation, regular people, not like maybe people who, have you know, that five or 10% who make lots of money, but regular people average people. Um the only way they can afford a home is if you know the bank of mom and dad or yep. or you know grandma and grandma die and they sell their home and the inheritance comes down.
2: And I, I think a lot of a lot of uh younger people right now are faced with exactly that calculus. Um and I'll do a little tangent here. One of the things that makes me very, very very afraid is um there's certain federal powers that be that are looking at homes right now saying, I would yeah. love to get a piece of that appreciation. I would love to get a piece of, um, of that and, uh, and help fund the spending that's been taking place over the last five years. Do you
1: mean in inheritance tax?
2: No, um, it would be well, a home equity tax. There's two things that are being researched right now. And one is uh, on the sale of a home. Your primary residence, uh, taking a taking a tax on that, so any appreciation, um, and then the second piece is just by virtue of your home appreciating, you being taxed on an annual basis. So you're not mm-hmm. a, your home has gone up in value, right? Your home has gone up in value. Your property taxes are going up because your home's going up in value. You're not necessarily getting any new services or benefits from that. And now there's another body, the federal government, who is eyeing you that that home and that appreciation and wants to tax you on that appreciation, even though you can't realize it until you sell the thing.
1: While the whole while that's that federal dangerous. government doesn't have a stake in that home. At all. Yes. They just want to cut anyway. <laughs>
2: oh, they want
0: to cut on everything they can ever get. But yeah. And and
2: one of the one of the arguments, and I think this is very, very wrong-headed and it's it does it doesn't work this way. But one of the arguments is, well, that that's we're taxing wealth. Right. We're taxing wealth, and that should, put, uh, that should depress house fa- values. No, that's, that's not how that works. That's not how no. that works. No. Um, we need to address supply. We need to address demand, and uh, another th- side of the coin on affordability that we haven't really talked about is, is disposable income. Another way out of this is to have a really strong economy, right? To have good, well-paying jobs broadly across the country to actually start building things in Ontario again, have manufacturing base. That might be good. Um, you know, now, now that we're coming out of COVID, nearshoring and bringing production back, actually getting our resources out of the ground in places like Alberta and Saskatchewan. Yeah, Actually dealing with things like climate change by getting places like India and China off of coal and purchasing our natural gas. Having their emissions immediately. Hmm. You want to make yeah. a difference globally on, on the green, uh, greenhouse gases? Get them to stop burning coal, get them to burn natural gas,
1: cut the emissions the in half.
2: Cut the amazing. emissions yeah. in half. We could never accomplish this domestically, even if we shut down our whole country. Simple change. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And so you, you want to make houses more affordable, put more money in people's pockets. Right. Strong yeah. incomes, then they can acquire homes. In addition to it doing all the things we were talking about.
1: Right. So I want to ask you, um, let's look at the next five years. What do you anticipate happening over those years? What is your speculation or prediction?
2: Okay, so this is not investment advice. <laughs>
1: disclaimer noted
2: yeah and yes <laughs> everyone listening to the broadcast uh, you you should have an investment advisor have conversations about your specific situation with them um okay what what do i what do i see and what the market is seeing right now 2022 is going to be interesting okay, first off um we're already seeing inflation levels uh that we haven't seen for 30 years okay. um in seeing that the central bank Bank of Canada is going to need to move on interest rates. We have an announcement coming out next week, Central Bank is likely going to announce its first rate increase. I would expect that we're going to see several rate increases this year. Step, 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 step. And and Zach, here's, here's where I am very, very concerned. When the When the banks did their stress testing on whether or not people could actually afford their current mortgages, they started doing this in in a very, um, very, very conservative fashion starting in 2017, it actually became harder to own a home because you had to have that much more buffer in your personal income, income statement, household budget, um, to carry the mortgage they were going to give you. That was expecting an increase in interest rates, but that did not factor into things like uh, unprecedented logistic challenges on the heels of COVID, causing drastic inflation and uh, supply challenges worldwide. Um, that also did not assume punitive carbon taxes, which make everything more expensive, everything you do and everything you consume more expensive. Uh, With those two pieces, as well as interest rates impacting what your mortgage payments are going to be, uh, I see household budgets being severely strained over the coming year, and um, I'm concerned that we're going to see a fairly hard landing. you had a, a more benign environment back in 1989 where real estate was, was, was challenged based on a, um, a, a real estate bubble from speculation. Well, we've got speculation now uh, in addition to these other forces. And uh, I, I could see back in 1989, people walked up to the bank and they gave them their keys, said, Here you go, it's yours. Um, we could see a repeat of that. Uh, the one thing that'll do it's, it's going to reduce the price of real estate, not in the way we want to see. And it won't it won't it won't impact international demand um, for Canadian real estate. But uh, I would say that we could see within the next year to two years uh, a hard landing. And I'd be very very cautious entering the market right now.
1: What about for people who are in the market?
2: So, if you already own if you already own and you're comfortable carrying your mortgage uh and you you have dependable income, you know it's it's it will still be a very interesting year to two years ahead. um I think the cost of everything's going to go up, so there's going to be strain broadly. um if you entered the market in the the run up in the the last let's call it three to five years. Where things were already um, difficult to carry, uh, you you may you may find that you can no longer carry that mortgage.
0: So I'm I'm interested in this because of your experience with banking and lending and all of all of this stuff. You're you're looking at um, how how money works. This yeah. is a side topic, but I think it's important we are going through a massive inflationary period right now and i I personally believe it's about to get a whole lot worse i i don't see inflation i don't see inflation coming down for for quite some time but when you're looking at these homes right we're talking about supply and demand and that's what dictates price but but how much of this is inflation as well that isn't being tracked in your typical cpi basket right how much of what's happening is these homes values aren't actually going up it's just the value of money is going down do you think? Right? Like, in a sense, how much of, of this is the canary in the coal mine for Canadians is, hey, your money's getting less and less valuable. Mm. And therefore your mm. home is getting more valuable, but you're actually not in the situation that you think you are because I think so many people look at this equity, I have friends who got into the market uh, let's say a year ago, right. right, or maybe a little bit less than a year ago. And they're all excited, right? They're all like, Oh, look, I've just made 200 grand or something or, or whatever, right? Uh, and then I have friends. Who God got bless in.
2: them that yeah. they're lucky enough to get into the market. Yes. Think yes. about and those I, people who don't have the disposable income to invest. Yeah, yeah, and or, their incomes or, aren't going up. But yeah, <laughs> okay, go ahead. Exactly. Sorry. That's
0: what I mean. Their incomes aren't going up, which is the interesting part. But I'm wondering how much of this because we haven't really talked about this until the right right at the end here. But it, it's something that fascinates me. How much of this is inflation? Like just the the actual like. Tangible things like land okay. and homes.
2: I, I I'll so this is where I'll go back to um, real estate prices tracking incomes, yes. and there being a pretty tight uh, correlation between those two things. Um, and that's still okay. So you've got the United States that is actually going through the same inflationary pressures that, that we are. Yes. Yes. And you're not seeing you're the not absurd seeing valuation of the real estate there. True. That's, that's not to say that we're not going through or we're about to go through a, a very interesting roller coaster uh, related to, to inflation because we've been producing money supply hand over fist for the last three years. It's a rabbit hole, and I don't want to go too deeply down this one. I, I'm, I'm very, very concerned because we've done things we've never done before, so we don't know where yeah. this is going to land. And any economist that says, yeah, no, it'll be fine. Um, no, we're in uncharted territory. So you, you can't say it's gonna you can't say it's gonna be a disaster. You can't say it's gonna be fine. We don't know. We don't know. And whenever you have uncertainty, you have risk. And whenever you have risk, you have cost. So I would I would recommend that everybody listening to this broadcast, you be very conservative over the next. Couple of years, you'd be very, very conservative. Um, hmm. and make sure that you have your financial house in order. Um, you don't necessarily need to go on those trips right now,
0: even Probably though be- a lot of people are like, "Oh, this is the cheapest it's ever been, right?" You let's travel right now. Yeah, it's interesting. Hmm.
2: It, it'd be a good time to to uh, to squirrel away any nuts that you have. Hmm. All right, and. Um, Okay if, if you have the ability to again you, you, your income will become less and less effective in an inflationary environment. And if you're on a fixed income or you have now um, savings that you're drawing down from, so I, I worry I worry about my folks situation, for instance. Um, then I think you have to be you have to be more concerned. Uh, but I think we are in the middle of interesting times. Unfortunately,
1: yeah. Not only I think you're right. not only does your income become less valuable, but if you are holding savings, those savings become less valuable in an inflationary cycle as well.
2: So, so long as if those savings are sitting in something like savings accounts, if if yeah. you were um, lucky enough to have been invested in uh, a diverse portfolio in the market, and you're seeing that you you're, you're your investments are appreciating significantly at the same time as as um, inflation is kicking in. Again, those those kind of go hand in hand, and and to some degree, uh, your investments can mitigate the impact of inflation because they kind of go on the same merry ride. Not all portions of your investments, but you know, better to have some of them going on the merry ride than none at all. Yeah, again, <laughs> very true. This is not investment advice. No, no, no.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, one last thing I want to touch before we wrap up, um, you are crafting a new project. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing and what people can maybe yeah. expect from you in the near future?
2: Yes. Yeah, thanks Zach. I, um, currently, I you know I told you my, my, my background has been running businesses for the longest time and I, I've been lucky enough to, uh, to, um, get off of that merry-go-round and, and consult, um, and consult in, in both business and in, in public policy. And as I've gotten more into public policy, I've I've decided you know I I've got a history of solving problems. My jo- my job, to put it simply, over the past 25 years has been to take complex, meaty, uh, scary, thorny problems and find real world solutions to fix them. Basically, to deliver those business goals, deal with this this thing that's about to explode. And I found that that's a skill I've been able to, to, to build. And what I'd like to do going forward is I'd like to take that, that skill and start to apply it to problems that we face every day. So expect to hear more from me um, on uh, uh, thorny issues that this country is facing. And uh, I, I will likely be producing more content like this to to give another level of insight into to things people are talking about but not necessarily thinking about on all sides. So you, you may hear um Crowder <laughs> uncaged from uh the 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 norms of politics and the the norms of public discourse. And you may you may hear me weigh in on some things that the country has to be paying attention to.
1: Awesome. Well I uh I'm lucky enough to have had a sneak peek at some of this stuff and I'm really looking forward to it uh, hitting the market. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be fun. No, I think it's, it's gonna, gonna be, a be fun very ride. good.
2: <laughs> Thank well, you. Tim,
1: uh, thank you so much for your insight. Thank you so much for joining us on the broadcast. Is there any last words you would like to leave with the listeners?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd like to say don't don't lose hope uh, in owning a home. Uh, there's a number of things that we can do. Um, there's there's a number of if you're flexible, there's a number of things that you can individually do to uh, to see your dreams come true. Um, one of the things you want to consider is is your career. And does it give you flexibility in where you can choose to live? And I think that's one thing that, that uh, is, is the individual's opportunity to manage uh, this challenge. And, uh, and hopefully by providing some pressure on, on uh, our various leaders, they can take care of some of those other aspects as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, I, I'm i also very grateful, Tim, uh, just for who you are and what you've done for this country, what you've done in Oakville, and uh, and how you've decided to take this leap into uh, speaking publicly about solving problems. Because uh, as you and I've talked about privately, I think the most important thing right now is that we need to be cultivating people who are building instead of tearing down. And uh, I see you as one of those builders. So thank you for being one of those.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And, and like we... If there's enough of us, if there's a critical mass of us, we can actually make a difference. And I, I challenge anybody who's listening right now, do your part.
0: Thank you for listening to The Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The CAD Story. That's The CAD Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.